season to bathtub Ohio bathtub season to best friends no clothing confusing bathtub season Oh, hey, Austin. Hey, Corey. How are you doing? You know, this may be my least favorite episode of the podcast so far. <laughs> we haven't even gotten started yet. <laughs> well, we may not have gotten started, but I have been in and out of my bathtub troubleshooting a really stupid problem for the last half hour or so, and I... Regret to say that this is actually the first time that I've had to get out of my bath to troubleshoot these problems. And <laughs> God damn it, fuck it. Not a fan. Well, at least we got it working. We did indeed. I did have a question for you. I might have an answer. Do you know the feeling, how it feels to spend close to a year on something, spending all your free evenings and time, tens if not hundreds of hours working on something, but powering through and having a good time, and then finally seeing the end, and it is the most satisfying thing ever. Yes and no. Well, I'm glad that you can at least partially agree, because I was talking about how I beat Elden Ring this week. Fairness. <laughs> my final total was 160 hours. Damn. But in all seriousness, that also everything I've said is in relation to this podcast because we are indeed finally at the end of 2001's The Tick. Yes, indeed we are. <laughs> I cannot believe that this idea, this stupid drunk idea I had while walking my dog forever ago has turned into we made a whole season of something. I mean, The Tick did it. We were bound to do it one day. We were bound to do it. And during that time, I also became a 100% true pro gamer. <laughs> Look at you go. I'm doing it. <laughs> but this show has been much more work than I expected, but also like so much fun to do. And I'm sure we'll get into a lot more of this in our wrap-up episode that we're going to be putting out next. But, you know, it's a momentous occasion. We are here. This is the last episode of The Tick, not of our podcast. We're going to do another show, but this is the last episode of The Tick that was released. Correct. The last episode of 2001's The Tick. And, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but I thought it was a pretty good one. It's my least favorite. <laughs> oh, no. All right. We will get to that at the end. <laughs> So not only is the last episode about the last episode of The Tick my least favorite, the last episode of The Tick's my least favorite. Oh, dear. Are you drinking or enjoying anything to help you get through this tough time in your life? Well, you know, I thought about flipping things on, the, on their... What am I saying here? I thought about flipping things on the lid and... Is that the fucking phrase? <laughs> that is not the phrase. Head. <laughs> I thought about turning things on their head, and... You still got it wrong. What the fuck is the phrase? <laughs> Flipping it on its head. You had it halfway both times. I think what I said both ways is fine. Anyway, I thought about turning the tables. There's what I was getting it confused with. I thought about turning the tables and doing a sober bath today, but after uh, all that troubleshooting, no. Fuck no. I have Urban Artifact... Astrolabe Concord Grape Midwest Fruit Tart and a hmm. Casey Jones pre-roll. That drink sounds wild. It is delicious. It tastes like fucking grape juice. And it's 8%. <laughs> hey, that's, that's pretty good. It's like wine. <laughs> I came at this as what would the tick get? I wanted to go to the store and, you know, get what the tick would get. So I imagine this conversation going that somebody told the tick that a big moment was coming up and that he had to get something alcoholic for it. It's a big party, a big event, and told him to get something fancy and foreign and something local. 
So I went into the store and the tick, as we learned in this episode, we'll get to doesn't like beer, but I imagine he would see ginger beer and ginger ale and think that that it's alcoholic, but sweet and tasty. So the first thing, the local, we went with Verner's, which is a classic Midwest ginger ale. It is the best. And then for the foreign, he had to go over to Aldi and got their fancy sparkling ginger beer, which is spicy botanical ginger drink with herbal extracts. (laughs) Very nice. I think I'm going to do that one first. I've had it before. It's been a while. It is quite the spicy ginger beer. You're a spicy ginger beer. You know, that could be my nickname. (laughs) No, I think they call you spicy ginger beard. Mm. Probably. For this last episode, what did you pick for your sack soup seasoning? hate soup. It's the wettest of foods. I had to pick something very appropriate. <laughs> we will have to post a picture of it. I did take them before I submerged it into my now lovely blue tub of water, but I have a bath bomb that I got from Etsy, from Ivy Moon Body Care, who we follow on Instagram, by the way. Nice. And it is your last bath bomb, a toaster-shaped bath bomb. That is wonderful. It smells lovely. It was great. High quality. Highly recommend. So it doesn't smell like toast? It doesn't smell like toast, and I'm not burning. That, I guess that is a good thing. You want to smell nice and not be burning when you use a bath bomb. Yeah, the only thing I want burning is my weed. Uh, yep. Now, I took the same train of thought when getting a bath bomb for tonight's episode because I did go out and get a fancy special one for tonight. So I went to a few stores and I was like, what would the ticket if you had to get a bath bomb? And nothing was popping out. Nothing was looking great. I looked online. Nothing was scratching that itch. And then I was at Target getting formula for our baby and it was there. I saw it and I knew immediately that had to be it. It was a bright Blue, big bath bomb that is a Hot Wheels bath bomb. And I think he would be just absolutely enamored with that. (laughs) He'd be over the moon. Hot Lanta! (laughs) It's from Da Bomb Bath Hot Wheels Bomb, a blueberry bath fizzer with a fun surprise inside. Oh, before we started recording, I found a little toy in the tub that I thought was left over from when my son got bathed earlier, but that's what this little... I didn't think I recognized it, but there are. There's a little Hot Wheels in it. There you go. (laughs) So this is now two times that I've gotten a little toy inside of a bath bomb. Oh, man, there's a little... I didn't even notice. There's a little message inside the packaging. It says, rev up your usual bath time routine with this fun fizzer. Watch carefully as it dissolves because there's a surprise inside. Use one bomb per bath. It's a message from your ass. (laughs) Cool. It smells very nice. This was also quite expensive. This is not a cheap bath bomb. (laughs) Same. I will admit that. It was, but, you know, handmade. I don't think mine was. I would like, if any of our listeners happen to make bath bombs, I would love to see a tick bath bomb. Yeah, but not of, like, the bug, but of, you know, the person we've been talking about for the last eight episodes. I'd love to see Tick and Arthur bath bombs. I think that'd be really cool. That would be sweet. Oh, mine is handmade. Cool. Nice. All right. So without further ado, do you want to get into season one, episode nine of The Tick, The Terror? I do indeed. So this episode opens on the rooftop, as many do, which is a sweet place to hang out. Great place. Tick is blindfolded, being led by Arthur. I low-key thought the, this would be a great way to end the show, would be just Arthur pushing a blindfolded tick off of a rooftop, and then it just goes to credit. <laughs> well, that would certainly be a twist, although this episode was already a twist. That would be a fucking twist. <laughs> but no, it's a surprise one-year anniversary party, and so the you know he's blindfolded and Arthur's walking the tick over the rooftop which is again so dangerous but they're not near the CL edge. and BM 
jump out and surprise him, but I was confused why they would jump out and be hiding if he was blindfolded. Yeah, they run up to him, like Batman Wells in his face, and he is still blindfolded at this point. He hasn't taken it off yet. <laughs> the Tick, you know, being blindfolded, thinks that they are under attack and, you know, fights back and pushes Batman Well right into the cake they had sitting on the table for this celebration. Yes. Tick apologizes and explains his confusion, which, I mean, is understandable while Captain Liberty picks up the damaged dessert and hands it to the Tick, who reads it. Passy one-year nursery. Passy one-year nursery. And he's very excited about that. And he really thinks about it. He's quite excited about it. And Arthur's just like, it's happy anniversary. Yeah, and asks the Tick if he remembers the first day that they met. And of course, the Tick says that he doesn't, and after a full year, you would think Arthur would know by now that the Tick is not going to remember anything. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Arthur tries to remind the Tick by saying, I ended up in the hospital, you made me go out and fight Apocalypse Cow. Tick remembers Apocalypse Cow and calls her a sticky wicket. I was so excited for the callback to Apocalypse Cow because we have said many times throughout this show that we just wanted to hear nothing else but more about Apocalypse Cow. Yes, I, I also noted that I appreciated the callback to Apocalypse Cow here. I did think, you know, we're trying to find an idea for what we should call our favorite line of the episode, and I think Sticky Wicket would be a good one. I'm not opposed. You know, something to think over. But we soon find out that this is going to be a flashback episode. So it flashes back to Arthur being wheeled through the hospital by the tick, and this episode is full of great tick lines. At least I thought so. And the tick is with Arthur on this gurney and exclaims, Arthur is broken. Give me 200 cc's of tender loving care stat. <laughs> we find out that Arthur apparently has second degree teat singeing, which sounds terrible. <laughs> yes, it, it does not sound good at all. The nurse is giving the doctor a rundown as they wheel him down the hall and... She mentions very normal things like shock and contusions, but uh, the, the last one, specific to Apocalypse Cow, second degree teat singeing. <laughs> to which Arthur responds, Fire, big cow. The tick's like, Apocalypse Cow, chum. The worst kind. <laughs> I think I would have a similar reaction if this situation had happened to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the last thing on this scene is that the Tick asks the doctor if he can soup up Arthur a little bit. Maybe give him a metal arm with a laser or something. <laughs> you know, in a world with superheroes, it's a fair question. You know, you're not wrong. I mean, plastic surgery for souping? <laughs> or he could have had a soup extender, so maybe he could have soup powers too. Soup? Listen, I'm just saying, I've seen Inspector Gadget. Go, go Gadget oil slate. I can see some similarities. The scene ends, but then we still in the flashback, but we are back in Arthur's apartment. Arthur wakes up. He's in disbelief that everything had actually happened and finds that the tick is still there and indeed real. The tick is watching TV and on the TV is an atomic explosion and the tick simply responds, fancy. And then he writes down in a notebook he's holding that we need one of those. Yes. At that point, Arthur clears his throat in the bedroom doorway to get Tick's attention, and the Tick springs up to greet him. Good morning, Arthur. And then, bam, opening credits. <laughs> yep. Fantastic opening, in my opinion. Yeah, all good. Well, not all good so far, but we'll get there. <laughs> After the credits, we find that we're still in this flashback. We're still in the first day of Tick and Arthur meeting and living together. The Tick is rummaging around the apartment and exploring the secret headquarters. I had low-key forgot that that's what the Tick considered Arthur's apartment. Again, a great, great callback. Show me your trigger. My what? Your secret headquarters trigger, the switch that pops up all your secret crime-busting equipment. Yes, that is what he calls it in the first episode. There's a lot that they did right <laughs> bringing that first episode back, but, mm -hmm. you know, he says he's taking stock of everything at their disposal in their two-man war against evil. He believes the talking box will come in handy. And he writes it down on the legal pad as well. 
I'm surprised the tick can even write. It does seem to be, you know, slow in rather large letters. There's not a lot to it, but it, he is writing things down. <laughs> tick tells Arthur that he also went through his crime library, uh, at which point Arthur sees his disheveled desk, and he's like, these are mine, they're private. And Tick's like, yes, and alphabetized, color-coded, and in those plastic tabs, clearly another one of your special talents. <laughs> yeah, it's a secret stash of notes on all of the city's supervillains. Yep. Tick writes down on his list, Arthur's driving obsession to organize. Right, and Arthur, you know, is still frustrated with this whole thing. He says, you know, I know I am anal retentive. It is something that I would like to work on. And then the Tick, in an all-time great line says good lord man retain that anus one day it's fruit may be the only thing that stands between us and total oblivion yes <laughs> <laughs> there's not been too many moments watching and making notes that i've had to actually pause it i was laughing so hard this was one of them yeah that one is one of my contenders for favorite line and i will say that if it wins favorite line it's purely because it got me thinking about anus fruit. Fruit of the bum, if you will. Forbidden fruit. <laughs> we then cut back to the rooftop to present day. CL says that if some guy had brought up her anus on the first day of meeting him, she'd kick him out. And that is totally fair. <laughs> yep, Arthur's just like, believe me, I tried. And then we cut back to the flashback. We're in Arthur's apartment. And Arthur's trying to talk to the tick trying to let him down gently, saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready for this, and I didn't realize it was going to move so fast. And Tick's just like, well, neither did I. I've only been in the city for a day, and I've already got a secret headquarters and a sidekick who flies. Yeah, I had that written down that he refers to him as a sidekick, because that was a whole episode's worth of discussion. Yeah, so I actually have this in my notes. This scene is going to be the one that starts me talking about what's wrong with this episode. I don't know why you're hating on this episode so much. Let's get to the end of this scene and I'll go over it. There have been a few things that I've been able to overlook so far, but this is the one that got me. The Tick tells Arthur that, that he, as in the Tick, is what Arthur has always wanted to be. And I never thought about it, but they are really kind of polar opposites. Because Arthur is nervous, awkward, wants to be a superhero, but is always second-guessing himself. But the Tick is literally the opposite of all of those. He is strong, confident, to the point of weakness almost, stupidly fearless, and a superhero. Yes, that's all very true. Tick does make that point, and Tick does embody your point. Before that, Arthur is talking about, you know, why he's feeling overwhelmed. And he pauses and tells the Tick about a former coworker, Metcalf, who comes back later in the episode. <laughs> but he quit to become a superhero and now needs a machine to poop. Yeah, and the Tick does agree that that's unfortunate. <laughs> yes, he does. He was all for Metcalf leaving work to take up his fight against evil, but he admits that it's unfortunate he needs a machine to poop now. But... I did make the note that Metcalf is also a callback to the pilot. The name sounded familiar. In the pilot, Arthur refers to Metcalf as being inspiration because at that point he has left to become uh, a superhero but not hospitalized. The Tick hears all of this negativity and then has a couple more fantastic lines. You know, even only knowing Arthur for less than a day, maybe? Yes. <laughs> He's giving him some big... Positive swings. A couple of the lines are, I've heard of fear, I've seen its effects, and it's no good. And the other that I wrote down was, when it comes to love for your fellow man, you're a fat, fat, fatty. Yes. <laughs> what a strange compliment. <laughs> I will mention, because it comes back around as well, that when the Tick tells Arthur the problem is that he's afraid to be a superhero he wants to be, the Tick says, Arthur, don't let fear's bad apple spoil the barrel of your virtue. And that sets up the fat, fat, fatty line, actually. Mm. At that point, Arthur says they can talk about it later and that he's going to clear his head and get a bite to eat. And Tick, of course, follows. Yep, uh, of course. Now that we're at the end of this scene, I appreciate all the callbacks to the pilot. I think that it's a really nice touch that implies attention to detail. It's also just fun for the fans who catch it because, I mean, they, they are fitting in a lot of great callbacks in this. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the episode conflicts with the pilot. 
In what way? So for one, Jimmy Carter and the Red Scare. There's no mention of them. Yeah, might be just another day. <laughs> that, that would be, that, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Those are the characters that they actually meet over. They meet over Jimmy Carter and the Red Scare and that whole debacle. And Apocalypse Cow attacks at the end of that first episode when they're all in the diner. So this Apocalypse Cow t attack that sets up this entire episode that's supposedly about them becoming a duo happens after the pilot, directly after the pilot. I still don't see any conflict. So this one's forgivable because it's mostly just strange that they don't mention it. This all happened within 24 hours. Anyway. That's true. In my head, I was just seeing it as Arthur wanting to forget that, you know, this whole situation is actually real and the tick just being the tick and not remembering anything. <laughs> Fair enough. So number two, we'll come back to number two. Number three, like you said, Tick calls Arthur his sidekick. That happening as a flashback in this episode ruins episode three. Like all of Couples was about the sidekick versus duo relationship. And when Tick and Arthur were introduced to Blaze and Fire, the notion of Arthur being a sidekick was completely foreign. It was like that thought never crossed their minds. That word never entered their fucking cranium. That's true, but I did write down, I forget what the lines were, but Arthur does push back after the Tick refers to him as a sidekick in this scene. He does, it just, it feels like it can't, that exchange can't exist for Couples to exist two episodes later, technically, in the timeline. One episode later. Yeah. Anyway. After this, <laughs> we are back on the roof, and out of this flashback, we find out that this is also when Tick, Arthur, Captain Liberty, and Batman Well all became a big ol' happy family, according to them. But as Batman Well states that he remembers it, Janet hated the Tick and wanted him dead. <laughs> Tick says that's when Arthur and him became a team, and Arthur's like, no, that's not. And then he's like, well, that's when we became a happy family, and Batman was like, uh, Janet, you hated him, right? <laughs> so, flashback again, we're at the Lonely Panda. Batman well and Captain Liberty are sharing the standard booth. Captain Liberty's filling out a report about the Apocalypse Cow incident. Batman Well is impatiently waiting for a ride from Captain Liberty to pick up the Manuel mobile from a mechanic. Did we know that's what the name of the car was? Because I didn't realize that, and that is such a good name for his car. We did know that. We did know that? We did. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Still holds. That's a great name. <laughs> I agree. Good name. Batman Well does have a cast in this episode, which he also did in the pilot, so great follow-through there. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's covered in... um. Kiss marks from, I would assume, various women? Mostly Captain Liberty, but yes. While filling out the paperwork, Captain Liberty says that she's really confused about this tick guy, and she had the FBI, CIA, Interpol, and the Vatican Black Book research the tick, and no one had any information on them. Which, uh, I, I both would love and don't want a backstory on the tick because it's just so nebulous and hilarious <laughs> yeah she says apparently he doesn't exist and batman well he's focused on his car the whole time oh yeah does say not existing yes yeah, so this is suspicious <laughs> she also says that during the fight with apocalypse cow the tick threw a dump truck at apocalypse cow which is such a tick thing to do and a wonderful thing to picture in one's head. Yes, great image. Again, Batman Wells just like, yeah, dump trucks are heavy. <laughs> this is when Tick and Arthur walk in. Um, Arthur goes up to place a carryout order and the Tick approaches Captain Liberty and Batman Well asking for their help finding a nemesis. My very own nemesis. Arthur and the Tick had a little conversation about that when walking in that the tick now wants a nemesis. Yes, just before that is when we find out though that Captain Liberty is jealous of the tick, which is what makes the rest of this make sense. Mm -hmm. But this is where I'm gonna come back with point number two. The attitudes of the characters towards each other is non-congruent with the pilot. In episode one, post Jimmy Carter, pre-apocalypse cow, Tick is talking about their partnership with just as much vigor as this episode, but without any argument from Arthur. 
he's like, we just saved the president. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Captain Liberty is congratulatory to the Tick and Arthur for their presidential accomplishment. She's not jealous of them for saving fucking Jimmy Carter. Like, why is she now jealous of them for Apocalypse Cow, which happened the same goddamn night? <laughs> I feel like the finale is meant to put a nice bow on the season and like be this nice callback to the pilot, but making me think about the pilot is just raising an even bigger question. What the fuck happened during the Apocalypse Cow Battle? That would be an amazing like one-off movie. It's gotta be a movie. Something had to fucking happen because the pilot <laughs> to this are, is one evening, one fight, and it's day and night. <laughs> So after the tick asks for a nemesis, CL opens up her justice flame and tries to find a supervillain worthy of giving to them, basically. Goes through a few options. Uh, first option is King Hurl, but he's now in prison. Next is Electronimo, but he opened a casino with his wife. But she finally lands on the Terror, who apparently lives in Fearlow, Tennessee was born February 13th of 2005 and is five foot six inches and 163 pounds because they show all that right in the middle of the screen. <laughs> yeah, they also showed some of the other superheroes she could have chosen from honorable mention to Chairface Chippendale, Hema Goblin, and Cowboy Satanist. I didn't even catch those. And that's hilarious that the chair face got brought up because that's one of the cards we've seen recurring when going through the cards for uh, the animated show. Very nice. Yeah, there are others from those, but those stood out the most. Destroyo is on the list. Wonderful. Captain Liberty states that the Terror was the biggest supervillain of the 20th century, which answered a question I had just for like five seconds was February 13th, 05 is what it said. Was that 1905 or 2005? So either they're doing some weird time shit or he is very old. This question does get answered. Yes, it does. <laughs> Arthur overhears this whole conversation. He's still up at the counter and he's like, nope, 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 no, no, we are God! not doing this. And grabs the napkin that Captain Liberty had written the tears phone number on and tears it to shreds. Yes. However, his order gets called and he goes up to the counter again to pick it up. And Captain Liberty slyly writes down that info again and hands it over to the tick. This time the napkin says, I dare you. I triple dog dare you. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's wonderful. <laughs> so then we hop back to the rooftop, present time, gang's hanging out, and Tick is laughing because he's trying to drink a beer. And Everyone else seems very drunk. <laughs> everyone else drinks quite a lot of beers this night, it seems. But he's holding this beer and he's just laughing. He's like, I just can't do it. The tiny bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Wells starts singing Tiny Bubbles by Don Ho. Tiny bubbles in the waves makes me feel happy, makes me feel <clears throat> heterosexual. At this point, Captain Liberty says, I can't believe you actually called the terror setting up the next scene. Right. But during this, uh, there is a short discussion about the payment for the cake and Batman Will wants a little money. Arthur gives him some money, asks for some change back, and we find out that, of course, Batman Will keeps his money in his codpiece. <laughs> yeah, Arthur hands him a 10 to reimburse him for this cake, and he pulls out a single crumpled one. <laughs> right from his crotch. <laughs> yep, right from his crotch. <laughs> Arthur declines, and we go to Terror's Castle, bedroom yes and he is a very old man he is old he's he's very old he's got long white hair mostly just on the sides of his head big white eyebrows he's kind of short he's laying in bed wrapped up in a blanket and he's looking at a photo album of disasters that you know i think we're supposed to assume he caused uh which based on this scene means he caused the hindenburg i think did you recognize who played the terror. I do have it noted here that it is Armin Shimmerman. Yes, who is famously Quark from Deep Space Nine, but he was also a recurring role in Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, as well as a bunch of uh, voice acting for different uh, video games and cartoons. But I didn't recognize him. Even the second time watching through knowing it was him, because I saw it in the credits, I was like, man, they had that makeup on thick. You can only really tell it's him a couple times. <laughs> For sure. He reminds me 
He reminds me of a character in... What the fuck was it? He reminds me of a character Dan Aykroyd played in a movie called Nothing But Trouble, I think. Hey, hey, ho, ha, ho! <laughs> hula, hula, hula! The bula, bula, bula! Look who's got the front seats of the Mexican hat dance now! Just like a bunch of spiders in a birthday cake! At this point, the terror looks at a stripper who is dancing in his room and asks if she is his wife. She says no. Yeah, he's very confused why this stripper's here. <laughs> he then asks what year it is. She responds, 2001. <laughs> he responds, that's a lot, which is a weird response to finding out the year. It is a weird response. It's also funny because this episode aired in 2002. True. But I, I did find out why there are two versions of the timeline for these episodes. The one we've been watching is how they were released on TV and quote unquote, the correct order. But when the official DVD release came out, they used the production date as the order. So it's when they were made, which is such a strange choice. And now, because that was the official release on home media, that's what a lot of people put the order as. That's really interesting. So I forget the order this is on the DVD, but I want to say it's like the third episode or something. And that would explain why they would say 2001, because that's when it would have been made. Weird. But the tick we then see cause the terror from Arthur's apartment. Tick, of course, is acting like himself, you know, threatening the terror. You know, he's going to come get him, whatever. Uh, but the terror has no idea what's going on. He is very senile. He says, I just took my drowsy pills, to which the tick responds, ha, evil never sleeps, mister. They go back and forth a little bit, and, you know, the, the terror is really not into it. He's not defensive or anything. He's just like, what the fuck's going on? While the tick is just barreling ahead until the tick says, don't be an Adolf Quitler. <laughs> and for some reason, that line makes the terror very mad. Yeah, he's like, you can't talk to me like that. Yes, I can, Quitler. <laughs> And then he's like, I'm the terror. That one really got under his skin. Yeah, that's the line for some reason that really gets under his skin. I did, so have the tick's eyebrows always been blue? This was the first time I ever noticed it. Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, his eyebrows are like bright blue in this scene. And I was like, is, at first I thought it was something funky with, you know, my monitor I was watching it on, but no, they're, they're blue in this scene and for the rest of the episode, and it's got me questioning whether they were like that for the whole show. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I could tell you. I don't remember. <laughs> this is honestly a cool scene from, like, a cinematography standpoint. I mean, it's not crazy, but it is, you know, a split on one half. You see the tick on the phone, and the other half you see the terror talking. But I do like how at the end of the scene you see Arthur in the background, you know, out of focus, like walk in the room from out, I think the bathroom and the tick is like, oh God, gotta go and like hangs up. But it was cool seeing, you know, that out of focus Arthur as like making this seem like a very real situation. Yeah, definitely. At that point, Arthur's like, tick, it's my phone, caller ID. Now he can find out exactly where I live. And tick's like, he can do that? And Arthur's like, yes, of course he can. And the tick says, Magnificent beast, what other strange powers must he possess? Yeah, he thinks that this is just a, another superpower of the terrors and not just a standard phone function. Right, and at that point, the terror calls back and Arthur answers and terror basically says he's coming to get them. Yeah, yeah. That's when we cut to the brief scene on the roof. And the only thing I had written down from this was the great line... Arthur says, giving the tick the terrorist phone number is like giving a child a loaded gun pointed at me, <laughs> which is a great line. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much all I had written down, too. Because <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> Absolutely. Back to the flashback, we're in Arthur's apartment again. Arthur's laying on the apartment floor, trying to grapple with everything that's happened. Tick's encouraging him to pull himself together. And Arthur's like, I should brush my teeth. I'd like to die with clean teeth. <laughs> You know, I would too. And Tick's just like, that's no way to talk. And Arthur's like, well, hygiene's very important to me. And at that point, Tick's just trying to, you know, get him to rally, get up. And he's like, come on, chum, don't be a crybaby. Be a try-baby. <laughs> yeah, that's the only line I had written down from that conversation. <laughs> so we go back to the rooftop real quick. 
Tick's like, and that's when I convinced you to form an inseparable bond of anti-villainy. <laughs> and Batman Wells like, I had an anti-villainy. She lived in Queens. She liked cake. Yeah, and CL just kind of looks at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Yeah, ba- Batman Wells, uh, probably drunk. Um, Arthur's like, no, I, I still hadn't decided. And Tick's like, oh, your mind wasn't made up, but your heart was. I could tell by the way you unleashed that glorious high-pitched battle cry. <laughs> this was really funny because then we cut to Arthur's apartment and it's at night and Arthur's still laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. Same spot. But you see the tear breaks into the room. He knocks the door down and throws a grenade that is like a metal skull and smoke's coming out of it. It lands between Arthur's legs and he just lets out the highest pitched scream I think I've ever heard a person make. Yo, big old shriek. <laughs> But Arthur, you know, the smoke's coming out of this. Arthur and the tick, uh, well, Arthur stands up, and it's them just standing there staring at this old senile man with a weird hood over his head now coming towards them, threatening them. But just he's very tiny and very old and not threatening whatsoever. (laughs) To make that even better, before that, we do briefly cut back to the roof where they're telling the story and Tick's like, he had knifey teeth and flame shooting of his nostrils. He was 10 feet tall if he was an inch. And Arthur's like, no, he wasn't. And <laughs> Tick's like, he was seven feet tall if he was a day. And Arthur's like, he was a head shorter than me. You're making this up. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is actual like nautical terms, but that whole way he was describing sounds like something a ship captain would say is the whole time he was describing what the terror looked like. That's fair. We do learn Tick likes to embellish. He ends that brief call to the roof with, no, I'm not. I'm making it good. <laughs> Which seems very untick like but it was very funny. It was. It was a great line. But so everyone knows what the terror looks like in his getup. He's dressed in all black, tall black boots, black forearm armor. He's wearing an executioner style hood with gold eye hole accents. Basically, he looks like an executioner all around. He has like a gold medieval looking tee on his chest and a utility belt full of skull gas bombs. Right, and I mean, because Armin Shimmerman is a very short man. That's why he was picked to be one of the Ferengi in Star Trek. So they picked a great actor for that. He's also, you know, obviously well known for character acting. But the terror is like still threatening him and says that his grenade that he threw was filled with terror and now they should just you know, be afraid of him. And they're like, we're, we're, we're not afraid. <laughs> He's like, oh shit, I threw the wrong grenade. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, wrong skull. <laughs> so at that point, the lights... Yeah, this whole scene was hilarious. Yeah, the lights come on and the terror takes off his hood and he's coughing on his own gas. And the Tick and Arthur both react to how old the Terror is. Because, again, he's 112. (laughs) And Terror continues coughing and grabs his chest and falls to the floor. Tick's just like, you know, maybe we should wait until you feel better. (laughs) He just, you know, struggles on the ground basically until he loses consciousness. Yeah. We are then at the hospital, and we see the terror hooked up to a bunch of machines in an ICU room. It does say intensive care unit on the wall. I was looking for funny poster gags, but I couldn't find any in this one. But Arthur and the Tick are outside of the room, basically just discussing the situation. Yeah, Arthur's pacing back and forth, and the Tick looks like he's guarding the room. But the Tick starts narrating, because, you know, Tick. Mm -hmm. He says, He stands triumphant, yet another fallen fiend behind him. He literally is behind him. You can tell just by looking at him that he's got some pretty heavy things on his mind. Arthur's like, what are you talking about? Who are you saying it to? Which is funny because Arthur wouldn't know that this is just something that Tick does at this point. Well, so I I have a note here saying that Arthur has experience with this from episode one. This has taken place before. Right, like some, but he wouldn't wouldn't know yet that it's a regular thing. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I just, I feel like this finale is asking me to ignore the pilot. But the Tick's response is even better. He's just like, was I talking? But Arthur's like, we're not triumphant. All we did was crank call an old man and give him a heart attack. Which is what happened. Tick's like, it wasn't plan A, but it did the trick. (laughs) Which is also what happened. (laughs) And then we go to the roof and Batman Wells like, so the terror's almost dead. 
And like, that's kind of the point here. And instead you took him to the hospital. Right. I had that written down that Batman well can't believe that they took him to the hospital, which is pretty funny. Yeah. But like, I guess if you have this old man having a heart attack on your floor, even if he is a supervillain, like at least a part of, at least for me, it'd be like, I, I should probably call someone. <laughs> call a stripper. Yeah. But Arthur's like hindsight's twenty twenty. And Tick's... <laughs> the Tick is confused by this one. Yeah, Tick's like, hindsight? He's like, you mean sight that comes out of here? Did he points to his bum. He's punching my bum! Woo! <laughs> you know, if that's what you would imagine, that would be horrifying. Like, if, if there was another place for your eyes other than your head, I think your behind may be the worst spot. Yeah, I don't think that's a POV I want. No. So we flash back to the hospital. Tick and Arthur are still discussing yeah they're just kind of having some conversation if nothing like major gets said the only thing i wrote down from this conversation is the tick says when you get in bed with evil incarnate it always takes the covers <laughs> that's actually the only thing i wrote down as well <laughs> yeah it's a pretty you know not important conversation but that's a another great tickism there are so many in this episode where it's like it sounds profound but it means absolutely nothing <laughs> yeah so arthur walks away and tick goes after him at this point the terror wakes up and he is flatlining he starts hitting his chest with his fist and he's like come on you little red bastard give me a pulse he then stabs and injects himself in the chest with a giant syringe that I assume was adrenaline. Or something, but whatever it was, it worked. What, but also, why are they keeping this thing? I guess if you were worried this could happen, you would have it nearby. I suppose. Especially for an ICU patient who's not supposed to be conscious. Fair? He is re-energized, though. He sits straight up in bed and starts ripping everything off and leaves the room. Yep. <laughs> At this point, we see Captain Liberty and Batman Well going through the hospital. They're looking for Tick and Arthur's rooms because Captain Liberty heard that they were both taken to the hospital. Right, Batman was a bit confused why they're there, and Captain Liberty's basically like, I heard that, you know, the Tick took down the terror, the terror had a heart attack. I've gotta be here to see it, which, you know, with her job would make sense. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there was that much context. I got the feeling that she thought that Tick and Arthur were fucked up from taking on the terror and she came to see her work. I swear there was like a line that she had heard that the terror was the one that was hospitalized and she just had to find out what happened. I don't think so, but we'll have to go back and see. I do not know for sure. Mm -hmm. There's another great callback here, though, to the first episode. That Batman Will approaches a coffee machine. <laughs> like a coffee vending machine, which is the first thing we see the Tick attacking in the first episode. Timeless bandit. Empty your bladder of that bitter black urine men call coffee! Yes, there is a coffee vending machine a little bit later in the scene, and it is a nice callback to that. Batman well again this whole time with Captain Liberty is just talking about how he hasn't been taken to his car yet and how he has to still get home tonight. <laughs> and we do cut back to the roof real quick where Batman well's like, Batman well had to take the subway three times that night. He's like, a superhero on the subway is embarrassing. I almost got mugged, you know. And Captain Liberty's like, almost? Someone hit you over the head and took your wallet. I got mugged by a monkey. Which is a mugging. Yes. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. That's the point she's making. So then we go back to the hospital where the terror sneaks up behind Batman Well, who's getting coffee out of this vending machine, and he uses his oxygen mask to render Batman Well unconscious. I assume he had it rigged to some of that terror gas that he didn't use the first time. You know, I had this written down, but now after like what I had just said, it kind of makes sense that they may have had some kind of nitrous or something else, some other anesthetic on the terror while he was in this ICU room, because that is something that would happen. It would actually make sense that he would have something like that nearby that was used on him. Perhaps, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I had that written down as a confusing thing too until I was just saying about, you know, the big needle. Now it, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> really big needle. Anyway, the terror takes out Batman well, and he's pushing him down the hall on a gurney saying, I got one, now somebody give me a rib spreader and a bottle of hydrochloric acid. And she's just <laughs> laughing maniacally. As one does. Yep, of course. I've been there a couple times myself. <laughs> once on the gurney, once pushing. So we go back to the rooftop. Tick asks Arthur when he finally knew about them then, if not by now. 
and Arthur tells the gang it was when he ran into Metcalf in the superhero recovery ward, he again reminds them that he needs a machine to poop. To which Captain Liberty responds that she'll need a machine to poop out the cake they just had. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, but Batman Wells real defensive about this cake because he's like, that cake is made from the finest flour. Do not denigrate that cake. I had to pause it and think about it. Like, I get she's trying to insult the cake, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, if it's so bad, usually you wouldn't need any help getting it out of your system. But so is it like maybe just full of a lot of fiber? Like actual food, not fiber. Got a little bezoar growing in there? <laughs> I don't understand what's so wrong with this cake. I, they don't ever really say, but. It looks like a fine cake. It looks like something you'd get at like Meyer Kroger or some shit. Like not a bad cake, but not a great one either. Like, you know, just a normal party cake. Yeah, it's a party cake. It, yeah, seem, it seems fine. We are back in the hospital then. We find out that Arthur was going to the superhero recovery ward. Arthur is talking to his old buddy Metcalf, who is indeed connected to this enormous machine that is just over top of his entire body. Yes, it's quite <laughs> elaborate. Uh, but they're kind of talking about, you know, Arthur's second guessing, you know, getting into being a superhero, especially after he sees what has happened to Metcalf. But Metcalf responds like, no, you, you've got it all wrong. He wouldn't have it any other way. He wouldn't be happy if he went back to being normal. He, he plans on returning to being a superhero even with this enormous machine. Yes. So I had to look up who Metcalf was. He looked familiar. His name's Peter Bergman. He wasn't known for anything I really recognized. But his best known works are Everything You Know Is Wrong, which is a short, the Day the Earth Got Stoned, and Martian Space Party, also a short. All of these are from the 70s, and I don't know anything about them, but I want to. They sound great. Yeah. But the way he was talking, you know, it wasn't corny, or it was actually, like, pretty inspirational, I thought. But it's at this moment that the terror wheels Batman well in on a gurney, and then proceeds to put a scorpion on his chest as Batman Will is tied down. And that is, there's so many strange moves in this episode, and that is one of the most weird things to do. <laughs> what was the plan? <laughs> there is no plan. The terror is a true agent of chaos here. I will say, though, in Metcalf's inspirational speech, which, like you said, is very good, he's like, this is your calling. Like, if you want to help people, then you have to do this. Mm -hmm. Metcalf is interrupted by the terror's reign of terror. That was a good point, though. I didn't really think about that, that, you know, he is, like, chaotic evil. Like, it, it doesn't have to make sense. He's just providing terror, which makes much more sense now. <laughs> yes, literally, that is him. But Metcalf is saying to Arthur, the pooping machine's going to be a burden, but you can't let fear's bad apple spoil the... And then he gets cut off by the terror unplugging his machine. But he was literally saying the exact same thing that Tick said in Arthur's apartment earlier that day. I didn't catch that, but that's pretty great. The terror, after doing this bizarre move with Batman well, then disconnects Metcalf's poop machine by unplugging it from the wall. There is a sign over the outlet that says the poop machine is called the Evacutron, <laughs> which is great. It is good. Arthur plugs the machine back in and stands up to the terror and then gets into a fight with him. Yeah, we cut back to the roof real quick and Arthur's just like, and that's when I did it. That's when for the first time all by myself, I stood up to evil. And we cut back to the superhero recovery ward where Terror's fucking with a patient and Arthur's like, hey, stop it. Terror throws a bag of blood at him. Arthur ducks, it splatters on the wall behind him. And Arthur's like, hey. Does he say something like you can't throw blood at people or something? Yeah, he says, you don't do that. You don't throw blood at a person. And Terror's just like, yes, I do. I'm the Terror. So Terror attacks Arthur then, and Tick overhears and comes to Arthur's rescue. He throws the Terror into a wall across the room and helps Arthur to his feet. Yeah, the first time after watching through this, I thought they were, like, you know, making a joke that, like, you know, this is when Arthur stood up, and then he, like, fails terribly. But, I mean, <laughs> he literally does stand up to him. 
he like he swallows his pride and or maybe that's not the right term, but you know, gets the courage to do it and you know, follows the advice he's been getting through this episode, which is pretty cool. Even though he wouldn't have been successful without his best friend now, he did what he had to do to be a superhero. Yes. Absolutely. A baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. But yeah, the tick comes in and saves the day. He defeats the terror. He does, but he congratulates Arthur for fighting the terror and mm -hmm. literally says both externally and internally. Like he recognizes yeah. both battles here. And Batman well at this point is like, I've got the poison lobster. <laughs> and Tick comes over and removes the scorpion from Batman well and Batman well's like, you know, you're all right, man. You're, you're not so bad. Yeah. He wins him over. We are then back on the rooftop where everyone toasts to the tick. Arthur says it was at that moment in the hospital that he knew that they were going to be an amazing duo, to which the tick says that he needs that all run by him again as he was not listening. End credits. <laughs> yep. Also at this point, the tick is drinking milk. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, they, they all cheers their beers, which, again, they've had many tonight, but the Tick has a glass of milk. Got milk. Yeah, it doesn't have any bubbles unless you're drinking, like, kefir or something like that. But yeah, that was the end. There's no credit scene. I know we're going to get into our thoughts about the episode, but I just wanted to say I thought that that line was an amazing last line to the season, and I don't think they knew it would have been the whole show at that point, but the fact that the Tick needs everything run by him again. Cause that, if you were then to start the next episode and rewatch the whole season, it would be one loop. It's of people explaining everything that happened to the tick and he just keeps not listening, which is such a tick thing to do. It's true. Yeah, I thought that was a great last line that says, hey, can you run that by me again? I wasn't listening. <laughs> so I think I know the answer to this, but Austin, tell me your thoughts on this episode. <laughs> I didn't love it. it Kind of was not a finale. Like, I, I get wanting to do something like this as a finale, but it wasn't a finale that makes me come back wanting more, which is upsetting because most of the episodes of this have, you know, have made me want more. So I think I have learned through the last maybe five or six episodes that the ones you love, I don't. But it seems the opposite is true because I loved this episode so much. This was like the perfect tick episode to me <laughs> i don't know it was so good it's like a clip show which is like the corniest thing you can do for a season finale but at the same time it wasn't because it was from something we hadn't seen before it had all the amazing one-liners from the first few episodes but with the character development that we didn't get until later because the characters were very hollow in the first few episodes but they didn't feel that way in this one at all so we get those two things together it has like a positive message, which they did in a few episodes in a really surprisingly great way. And again, they, they do it here. It's so strange that in this show, they were able to do that so many times. And it was also concise. It was a well-written story. It didn't feel rushed or slowed at any point, which I had mentioned in the last couple episodes, bugged me. Like with the tick, you know, when they go against what's-his-face in the jury trial situation. Tick versus Justice. Yeah, in that episode, I felt like it, you know, it needed more time if the whole thing felt rushed and they or they added stuff in that didn't need it. I didn't feel that once in this episode. It was a good story. It felt like it didn't need anything else. And I don't know, I love this episode <laughs> so much. Like, this, this would make me want more. <laughs> See, I just, I feel like... I feel like it asks me to ignore the pilot too much, and I like the pilot. You were giving me so much shit on the episode about the Tick versus Justice that I was asking too much of this television show that was a 22-minute comedy from 2001, and now you're doing the same thing. <laughs> okay, so first of all, to make the point of your character development, to go back to your point about the production date, that's interesting. It is interesting. It is weird. I guess if you were the writer and you wrote this to be near the end, you would have more stuff to work on with how the characters behave around each other. Having written the previous episodes, but maybe not filmed or produced it. But they, you know, right. that was one thing that bugged me about episodes one and two, which had some of the best lines, was that the characters felt like 
pure caricature and just not real people. And they did. They I'll give you that. Past it. I'll definitely give you that, especially in the first couple episodes, even mm -hmm. a little bit in the third. I felt like this episode which also feels to be a trend with the episodes that you prefer. Uh, it lacks, lacks the really great lines that I love. There are some good I, ones, I but... I loved these. They, you don't need a bunch if the good ones are great. <laughs> this one had I, some great ones. <laughs> they're, they're fine. There are lines from other episodes I would trade them for. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I just, it doesn't... It doesn't do it for me. I think it's a fine episode. I think the concept of the episode's fine. I really enjoy all the callbacks to the first episode, but that pisses me off more because like, I, you, you can tell from this that I went back and rewatched the first episode because I didn't. this episode inspired me to do so. I was imagining it was 2001 and I wouldn't have the ability to do that. I was watching this nine weeks later. Nope, can't do that. Um, <laughs> Modern technology. I watched them back to back. Two things. We, compared to the detail that we have we went into from episode two and on, severely under-delivered on episode one and missed a lot of things. So I'm sorry to our fans for that. But number one, the lonely panda has always been the lonely panda. They showed that multiple times in the fucking pilot. That's funny. How did we yeah. miss that? I guess they never well really put established. attention on it. Well established. It was never like center frame though, was it? Like it was in that scene from uh, when Arthur comes out as a superhero. Like that, when they're walking in, that is the only thing you see in that scene. Or the, op the no, opening frame. They, they, they use that in the pilot too. That's funny. I guess we just didn't know it'll be looking for it or what to expect. Yeah, we were, our, our notes were overlooking some of those just environmental things. But that's really my problem with it is this episode asks you to remember the pilot so much. It makes so many references to it that are great. But the more that it makes you want to look at the pilot, the more you see how this episode doesn't make sense in the timeline with where the pilot left things. I don't know. I mean, I can see some of the points you make with it not lining up, but you can also like explain away a lot of them if you, you know, put your own fan theories at work, but none of them were so egregious that it breaks canon. No, I just didn't think it was a great episode overall. Like, I mean, it's fine, but when <laughs> I think about the season as a whole, it's gonna be in my lowest two. Oh, this is gonna be in my top three at least. <laughs> We have very different tastes <laughs> in comedy, I think. Seems so. So, you know, we mentioned the great lines. What was your sticky wicket? Oh, I haven't officially decided. I have them earmarked. Oh, that's funny. I just flipped to, like, the last page of my notes from last episode. Oh, never mind. I thought it said this episode was bad, but it was this episode could have been bad. But I was like, it'd be really funny <laughs> if that's what I had written. <laughs> You were like, fuck this episode. <laughs> I think I was talking about, you know, how it was like a bit of an older show and they were getting into some sticky topics, but no. Some sticky wickets. Yeah, they had their own sticky wickets, but I know 100% without a doubt, because I do a rating system when I'm writing down my favorite lines with the number of stars next to them. And I have one that I think it might be my first four-star line in the show. I See, I don't, I, I don't understand. Go on. We've already talked about it, but it was when Arthur says that he's anal retentive and the tick responds, good Lord, man, retain that anus. One day its fruits may be the only thing that stands between us and total oblivion. <laughs> I can't even read it all the way without laughing because <laughs> it's such a wild line, but it's so funny. That was a good one. I had that noted as, <laughs> as a possible favorite. I want that just line without any explanation, like on a shirt or a bumper sticker. It's so funny and well-written. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I really liked that line. I also really liked the, when you get into bed with Evil Incarnate, it mm. always steals the covers or whatever. That was a two-starer. I think what I'm gonna go with as my favorite line is one of Tick's lines from his phone call with the Terror. Mm. He says, Terror, you now face the tick and his fearless sidekick, Arthur. We'll put an end to your reign of terror. Your reign of you. <laughs> See, I didn't even have that one written down. 
I, I liked that. It's a good one. And it came right before Adolf Quitler. Yeah, I had the one after the Don't Be an Adolf Quitler. Yeah, that one had some stars. Don't be an Adolf Quitler. Surprisingly, I didn't mark that one as a possible favorite, but it, it's definitely up there. It was a great exchange. Well, I think I think we did it. I think we watched nine episodes of a 13-year-old TV show that probably come to about five hours total, and we did it. <laughs> We watched this show. <laughs> we did it over many months. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to be doing an episode after this where we, you know, go back through our favorite moments of in lines and episodes of the show as a whole and also get into, I think, a little bit why we started this show and how we've made it and... Uh, we are still debating the name of what that will be, but we're going to do this after every season of a show we watch, and it will be the only time we're not in the bathtub. We're going to be toweling down. That's my vote. I like the towel down or under the robe. But we're still working on the title, but that's going to be the next episode. We are going to be doing an overall review of The Tick and then also discussing the show as a whole and then going in a little bit about what show we're going to be doing next. Yep. Yep. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, Austin, do you have any suggestions for movies, TV shows, music that you've been really into that our listeners can enjoy so they're not just sitting at home in the dark for the next two weeks waiting for our next episode to drop? Well, if you enjoy sitting at home in the dark, but then by all means do it. Not here to stand in the way of your dark sitting. You probably shouldn't do that for two weeks straight, though, without doing anything else. Fair enough. <laughs> you do you. Uh, the only thing I've really been watching lately is I just finished the final season of Sex Education on Netflix. Big fan of the show. The last season was great. I've heard good things. The other thing I've been consuming lately is a book by the School of Life called On Failure. It's really for anyone who's failed at anything and struggles with those feelings and what to do in those dark moments. And it's been really good. Can you post a link to that on our socials? I'm interested in checking that out, uh, but I think it'd be cool to, to share with people where they can find that book. Sure, absolutely. Now, I was thinking about this and, you know, the season's changing and anyone dealing with, you know, sad, you know, you got that seasonal affective stuff going on. This could be, you know, a tough time mentally for people. So this is also the best time to get a little cozy. So I wanted to have some cozy suggestions. And the first thing I thought of was probably the most cliche cozy thing you could ever do, which would be play Stardew Valley and watch Moonrise Kingdom, maybe at the same time. But that's super cliche. But if you've never done that, do it. It's hard to be cozier than that. But I wanted, you know, to go a little further for people that have already played hundreds of hours of Stardew Valley like I have. And it would be another Wes Anderson, but one that doesn't ever get talked about much, which is the Darjeeling Limited, which is a fantastic movie. It's so good. Great movie. And just really heartwarming. And as far as what you could play while watching it, I've been really into this. It's a mobile game, which I'm not usually really into, but it's free on mobile. It's called Retro Bowl, and it is so good. It's like NES graphics, like old Nintendo football, but you control, you know, the throwing, passing. It's very similar to old school football games that you would play on an old system like that. I'm not even into sports like that, but it is so much fun, especially for being free. And it's great for just, you know, chill on the couch, not wanting to really think about much and just playing something fun. And you kind of manage the team too and making sure they're happy and everything and paid well. And it's great. It's great. I've not played it on a phone. I played it on the iPad. I would think it'd still be good on the phone. Uh, but if you have a tablet, that's probably preferable. And I saw it was recently released on the Switch, which is not free, but I think it's only five bucks. But that would be my suggestion is get all cozy on the couch, put on some Wes Anderson and play some Retro Bowl. And if you're looking for other sports games, Corey and I can personally suggest anything from 2003. Yeah, we own every 2003 sports game that was released in North America. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why. But we do. It became a mission a few years ago of ours for some reason to get every game, sports game that was released that year. 
Another thing too, Twitter is a hellscape, but if you're still on it, follow us. But there's another account that I've been reposting a lot of or retweeting. I don't even know what to call it now. No, that's no longer Twitter, but it's called the tick of the city. And it's somebody who, you know, gives daily updates like the tick would and, you know, inspirational messages in the wording of the tick. And it's so good. It's so good. The name of the page, like I said, is Tick of the City, but it's at I underscore am underscore the underscore tick. And like I said, I've been retweeting it. So Twitter sucks now. It's awful. But if you're still on it, that's a little ray of sunshine. Very nice. I support that. All right. Well, I don't, you know, that was the last episode. I don't have anything else to suggest. Not suggest, that's not the word I was looking for. That's I don't have any, you know, next episode to give a description of. So I guess we'll just see you once we get out of these tubs. Next episode, Corey and I will be in robes in other rooms of our house, potentially. I guess I don't know where you plan on recording this, but... It's going to be weird. It's been so long since I recorded not naked. It's been so long since I've not been naked. I've been naked this whole nine months in the bathtub, Austin. I'm so pruney. Yeah, it was really... Uh, we're method actors. We really needed to commit to the bit. So we're full nudists now. It wasn't the intention when we started, but... Oh, I haven't even gotten out of the bathtub since we started this. I don't know about you. So, yes, I've had to go to work. Corey, luckily, has a wife and a child who can provide for him. Uh, he's a full bathist at this point. Yeah, the 11th month old is doing a lot of caring for me. A lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> All right, well, I we will talk to you then. And, oh, one last thing. Sorry, I keep, I've ended this episode like five times. I would love to answer some questions on this next episode. So if you have any questions about, you know, what our thoughts on The Tick, about the show in general, or about our show, like how we record things or our thoughts on various things, send them in, whether it's email, in your review of the show on whatever platform you're listening on or on any of the social medias. Send us your questions and we will try to answer them. I'll try to answer questions, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm ending it officially now. So everyone, life's tough out there. Stay safe and go take a bath. You deserve it. Okay.